Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. What are you getting so crazy about? It's just music. It's not that big a deal. It is. Don't you understand? This, this is important to me. Every one of my records means something. The label, the producer, the year it was made. Who was copying whose styles? Who was expanding on that? Don't you understand? When I listen to my records, they take me back to certain points in my life, okay? Just don't touch my records. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? We're here. We're on schedule. It's a regular Monday night, and that brings me great comfort, you know? I'm not all fucking mixed up wondering who we're going to talk to and what we're talking about and all this stuff. We're on schedule, and you know I like to be on schedule. (laughs) (laughs) If there's anything you like, it's routine. Oh, God, yes. Well, I actually thought of you, was it today? I saw somebody say something like, uh, hey, they're going to bring this quarantine back. We're going to go back into lockdown. And I'm like, Keith is somewhere celebrating. <laughs> he's, yeah. so, he's so excited. Like, fuck yeah, we could stay inside. And the thing I saw said, uh, it's going to, the new lockdown will last well into the next year. There's a line in the sand about visiting your family on Thanksgiving and not visiting your family on Thanksgiving. People are saying, you know, I'm look. I'm on Twitter and people are saying, if you go visit your family, you're a monster. It's completely irresponsible to do any kind of traveling right now with the pandemic. Don't do it. And then I guess I haven't heard anyone promoting to go visit your family. So where where do you stand on all of this? Well, per- personally, we will nef- we're, we're not going to be doing Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because of circumstances surrounding. So Kelly's father is recovering from uh, his last round of chemotherapy. Kelly's sister, um, is a counselor in a large state prison where she's been exposed several times. Um, my brother-in-law is a, uh, operating room technician and, uh, his wife's school, I'm sorry, his fiance school was just shut down and she was sent home and she actually is awaiting a test because she thinks she has it. Um, so we're just we're just calling it. Um, so if anything happens, um, we might just go because we've been quarantining. Uh, we might go see Kelly's mom or have Kelly's mom come and visit us for the day. But um, no, nothing's happening. Okay, and I I am going to go see my parents now. Right or wrong, you know. Now listen, I'm going with Romy and her daughter. I'm renting a car so that we're not going to be in Penn Station with a bunch of people, close-knit, in a train, in a tube, 
potentially getting exposed. So I'm renting a car. My parents don't go anywhere. My dad hasn't worked since like March. So they don't really see anybody. My brother is going to be there. So it's going to be immediate family. And me, I've been tested recently. I don't have it. Romy's been tested recently. She doesn't have it. Her daughter gets tested weekly at school. And we're still careful. We're still careful. You know, Romy's even more careful than I am. She, you know, she has to remind me to wash my hands and stuff when I come inside. And that's good. So, so I'm going to go see them. And now if it were, if it were solely up to me, if I were a single man and I had no one else to consider, I would use this pandemic as an excuse to not go outside for a full one to two years. However, (laughs) however, I'm not, you know, the sole decision maker. There are, there are small social gatherings to go to sometimes and outdoor things. And, uh, I want to, I want to be safe and I want to be accommodating. See, if I was single, let's qualify this. If I was single and I was still drinking, this would be like goddamn dream come true. I would door dash like three Wawa gobblers. I would toss them in the refrigerator. I put some vodka on ice and I would sit in my underwear and watch The Wire for fucking forever. Like, I would just watch TV. Like, I, I would be so excited about this because it's like, I would have nothing to do. And I'd just sit around and get boozed up and sleep and watch TV and hang out. Exactly. This would be my dream. If I was still doing what I was doing three years, six months, two days, five hours, 15 minutes, and 39 seconds ago. Well, you got the timer running on your, you have you on your phone, right? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> I would be in heaven. There, yeah. I would be working from home. Well, I wouldn't be in heaven. I would, I would be in hell that I thought was heaven. I, I would be home. I would be working from home, and I would, I would be in a lot of trouble. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. It would just be yeah. It would be an issue. Oh, big time. So let me interject real quick and say, we're gonna have Pete Appleby from Renee Hartfelt and Memorial back on the show tonight. The Renee Hartfelt discography is coming out this week on 6131 Records. And we're going to talk to Pete about it. And we're going to farm some more Renee Hartfeld and memorial stories out of him. And we're going to have a fucking good time. Yeah, we got to talk about the fact that this he fucking flies planes. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> He's got his pilot's license. I don't know if it's like a mechanical pilot's license. Like, I don't know if he can fly like like the small engine planes or he does like the the ones where you get like the dr- the gliders that get drug up and you kind of just float down but yeah he definitely owns a plane that was one of the things i regretted not getting to talk to him about more and okay, we are going to do that for sure we're going to do that because th- i'm also interested in the fact that like can you imagine being really good at playing guitar and writing music and singing and also be really fucking smart <laughs> yeah <laughs> it kind of blows my mind he's an incredible musician a great singer good looking a pilot and a dentist. Yeah. Like I, it still blows my mind when I see people do stuff like that. They're like one of the, I saw somebody post something and it was like, Oh, this guy's uh he's a, like a, you know, cardiothoracic surgeon. And he also just got his black belt in <laughs> Brazilian jujitsu. And I was like, how the fuck do you do that? <laughs> it's one of those things that like, I think Keith, you can, recognize this like you study for tests right like because you have your you know like certifications you get right yes how long do you retain that information for the second i'm done the test i forget every minute of it 
almost at I you walk up to any person that has gone to medical school. I don't care if they're a doctor of osteopath. I don't care if they're a fucking MD. You walk up to them and say, I'm seeing these three symptoms presenting fever, blah, blah, blah. They can name 15 things that it possibly would be. Right. That's the way their brain, like they've retained that information and they're able to synthesize it. We don't work like that. (laughs) We do not work like that. And I've thought about this, this specific thing you're talking about. And which is weird, but I've, I've thought about this and I'm like, you know, I think doctors, it's, it's like any other certification. You work your ass off to get it and then it's trial and error and experience. They probably see these things a lot. They're just in it for a long time. So they know. Yeah. But I, I think there's also like, um, I follow a couple people on Instagram and I don't know the name. One of them's called like medical AZY or something. I forget why I started following it. I think it was just one of those suggested ones, but it, um, somebody takes pictures of like their notes that they take for medical school. And it's like, <laughs> do you know, like when you would take notes like in school and you would like, kind of like try to organize it the best way you could. And like, it looked like something you could study from like yes. these, these people's notes legitimately look like a page out of a textbook. Like they use colored pencils. They use markers. Like it looks like they're beautifully drawn diagrams. Like all of the things are like color coded and noted. And it's always like, Holy shit. <laughs> like You really take this very, very seriously. I look at that and go like, eh, whatever. Probably, <laughs> probably could get this right. Uh, Northeast scene guest, Michael Shaw from this day forward. He in high school or grade school, one of those, he did his entire semester's math homework on one sheet of paper. <laughs> it was like origami. He he would put it into little corners and fold it up. And I remember him telling me that the teacher was really impressed with it and showed it to everybody. We got to see if he still has that. I'm sure he, knowing Mike, I'm sure he does. It's yeah. somewhere. He has it somewhere in his house. We got to post that for sure. That would be amazing. Because like he's, that's the other thing with like people that are really, um, there's that part of like people that are just super creative. And I think yes. it's so interesting when people are able to be like analytically think through problems, but also have the ability to be creative at the same time. They're like, Hey, take a look at this person. They're a spinal surgeon, but they're also an abstract painter. I'm like, what the fuck? What the, like, how, <laughs> how did you get, I remember. So one of my jobs, uh, when I first, before I became a teacher, I worked, uh, at, uh, Princeton. And one of the things I remember that they did was like, they wanted you to be a part of like the Princeton community, like part of the university and like, you know, know some of the stuff that's going on. So, um, they gave us, I forget how much it was like a hundred or $150, um, to come to campus. And they gave us like a gift card to like, come and eat with your family, go buy Princeton t-shirts and shit like that and take like tours and like, you know, walk around and just enjoy the campus. And I remember we were, walking through Kelly was pregnant uh with the with the twins and we were walking through the campus and there was uh, a group of guys playing volleyball and it was like literally the scene out of fucking top gun every single one of these dudes was like fucking ripped and on top of that they were unbelievably it was like watching professional volleyball players play they were ripped and they all went to Princeton. And in my head, I'm going like, how the fuck 
did you end up like this? Like you're handsome, you're smart, you're unbelievably athletic. Like I, I, I got fucked, dude. I was bald. <laughs> I got fucked. I'm bald at 20. I was bald at 21. I wasn't even out of college and my hair was thinning. Like that's a crime, man. That's a damn shame. Here's the only thing I will say. I never had good hair in the first place. You're not remembered for your hair. No, I didn't have good hair. Now, if like fucking Anthony Green went bald, we'd all be like, God damn it. He had great. He had like Kennedy hair. Like he does. He really does. Like it's fucking phenomenal. Like he can have his hair short. It looks rad. He can have it long. It looks awesome. Like you're just like, fucking man. Like I always looks good. It's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, it's you know what? If it wasn't if I wasn't such good friends with him, I'd be annoyed by it. But I know that with him, he just doesn't even give a shit. So he's just like, ah, whatever. So like I kind of <laughs> take that as like, look, he doesn't even take time or effort. He doesn't really give a shit. So like that to me is like that's like a zero sum game. Like he doesn't he doesn't get anything from it. So <laughs> I don't even remember you with hair. Like I, I just oh, remember you now. I remember it was my junior year of high school, maybe my senior year, I forget, uh, but I grew my hair out. Do you remember that? No. I grew my hair out and it was like down to like uh, my chin maybe. And uh, I remember I did like the worst thing in the world. Ugh, I was such a dork. This is like painful to talk about this. So I remember I was like, I want to get like a fucking crazy, like awesome haircut, like an awesome one. So of course in my brain, I'm thinking like, awesome. I want something like ridiculous. So I did like, do you remember the guy from the locust? Yes. That would have like the, he had like the bang straight across in the front. And then he had like the super long, but like Mr. Spock look on the side, but it was like incredibly long and it kind of flipped up at the bottom. And then the Mm -hmm. back of his hair was like kind of like spiky. I did that. What? I dude Keith it lasted for like 24 hours I literally went and I got up in the morning and I looked at my hair and I was like oh my god I can't I can't do this I'm not this person like I thought it was gonna like rock it and I was like this is gonna be great and then <laughs> I was immediately like I'm shaving my head this is so dumb I was gonna claim that you were making that up but if it only lasted for 24 hours it would make sense that I never saw it no i actually somebody has a picture of my hair it's not that long in the picture but it is like 100 percent like the straight across in the front like mr spock like haircut and it was like ugh, it was it's painful to look at but i've always kept my head kind of shaped like i as soon as i just even in high school like when i was in like maybe like 10th grade I remember I just cut my hair like my mom bought clippers and I started cutting my hair at home and it was like that was it so was much- cheaper, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't a it wasn't a money thing. It was just a convenience thing. I didn't I didn't like I used to do that, too. I used to do that, too. Yeah, I just didn't I didn't like going to. And I think the other thing this was the other this is what bugged me is my mom used to make me get my hair cut by this guy when I was little. Um, he was this older Italian guy in Warminster and his name was Mr. Mike. And I remember he would always be like, yeah, I'm going to give you a good haircut. You're going to have a great haircut. And I was like, okay. And I remember every time leaving there, it was like that Seinfeld episode where where Jerry gets his haircut and it looks like a little boy's haircut. Like it's like hard to this. Oh, it was so awful. Like I really, I, I just, I, I, I remember every time I came home, I would just be like, I'm putting my hat on. I had like an old Chicago, I had a Chicago's Chicago Bulls hat that I loved and I would just wear that hat. As soon as I got my hair cut, I was like, fuck this. I hated going to the barber because I didn't want them to talk to me. I didn't want to have to have any conversation and I didn't want to have to explain 
how I wanted my hair cut. It was just the whole thing was nerve wracking. It still kind of is. You know, what always bugged me out, though, and I thought it was really funny is like uh, my mom used to take me to that hairdresser. Like well, hair, he was just him. It was just him but like cu- like cutting men's hair. Right. And it would be like I would go in there and sit down. And again, another Seinfeld reference. But he had like not like super brutal porno. It wasn't like, you know, penthouse and stuff like that. But he had issues of Playboy just like laying around like next to like National Geographics. And I was like. Whoa. Whoa. And I remember like trying to like, maybe I could sneak and like grab it, like maybe shove it down my pants or do something with it to like get it out of there. And I remember being like, no, because the consequences of my mom finding me having this is so fucking worse than whatever I could do. Like, I would rather just be like, I would be mortified, first of all. Second of all, it's not worth it. It was, I could imagine the only, the my mom would flip the fuck out. Flip out. Yeah. My mom found. She's super Catholic. Dude, my mom found uh, – what did I have? It was one of those like men's magazines and it was from college like uh, you know, because we had uh, – I forget who got them delivered. But like you know, Maxim or some bullshit like that, right? And uh, I-, I had them in my car and my mom was like literally like, why do you have these smutty magazines? I'm like, what are you talking about? And in my head I'm going like, uh, I hide those really well. What are you talking – like why are you going through my shit? And she's like uh, – they're in the front seat of your car. And I'm like, Oh mommy, those are like men's magazines. She's like, I don't want any of that stuff in my house. I'm like, okay. Like Jesus. Yeah. No, my mom's like ultra Catholic with stuff like that. Yo, magazines are weird. Remember them? Like remember yeah. actually looking at a magazine? I actually, so I got a magazine delivered to my house up until about uh, a year and a half or two years ago. Uh, and it was the only magazine I ever read. And it was called the week and it literally came out every week and they would like, um, they, they did a really good job of like every news story that was important in the last week, they would write an article about it. But the article was all different quotes from different opinion pieces around the country. So you would get like the really like, um, like the national review, which would have like kind of like the conservative point of view. And then they would have like stuff from like Mother Jones, which was like the the kind of far left point of view. And then they would have like kind of like a centrist kind of like, and then we'd like kind of put it all together in a way that was like, here's what some people say. Here's what other people say. Here's what libertarians say about it. And ultimately, here's the story. You could have just said, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I noticed this is now like uh you know, when people used to do that, uh, like in a, in a conversation when they just get, they're checked out and they don't want to say anything anymore. They used to say, that's crazy. Um, yeah, that, it, that's what I, I, you ever see that meme where he's like, yo, I'm, I'm on my eighth. That's crazy. But he keeps telling the story. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but it's, I've done that before. My, my students use this one. They go, oh, that's wild. That means I like that up. one. Yeah. I feel like I have a a very good sensor for that type of stuff. Like if someone is just checked out or doesn't care, I'll shut the story down right in the middle. I don't care. See, I push through. Oh, I know. <laughs> I do this podcast with you. I mean, come on. I'll put, I'll push through. I'll, I'll make you listen. I'll start asking questions. What did I say about that? Remember? I've mentioned this before, but you're like a, you're a conversation. Wait, no, I was going to say you're a conversation bully, but that's not exactly an accurate description. You, you don't stop. Like when you will, someone will be like, and then I went to the market and the craziest thing happened. 
pause. I ran into this person that I knew. Like you, you hook every thought together so that there's not even a break. So when I'm editing this thing, it's, it's hard. There's like, there's no break. You'll be like, and then I went to the market. And the crazy thing is that I saw this guy and, and then I knew him back in the day and, and he was a professor and, and I'm just, there's just like, no, there's no, there's no way in. There's when, does this, to cut it. when does this guy breathe? What the fuck? <laughs> I literally wonder that. I'm like, how do, do you must talk and then like suck in air through your nose or something? It's like that cycle breathing. Do you ever see people that play the didgeridoo? Like that's how they do. Like they keep that sustained note the whole time. It's because they like breathe in through their nose and like constantly just have air coming out. That's why they can maintain that. I'll have to, I'm going to stop. <laughs> that just crashed and burned. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> right now it's time to talk to Pete anyway. So phenomenal. Here it is, folks. Pete Appleby. Enjoy. Folks, help us welcome back to the show, Pete Appleby. Woo! Yeah. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Good to be here. Good to be here. It's great to have you back. Um, it's now since the last time we spoke, which I think was in August, everything in the world has changed and absolutely nothing has changed. <laughs> Do you find that as well? I would say that's a pretty good summation. Yeah. Cause we're still yeah. in a pandemic. There's still no music. Uh, I've been through all kinds of life experiences and experienced a lot of growth, but at the same time, I mean, I'm still working the same job. I'm at the same desk. Same computer, recording the same podcast, talking to Pete Appleby. And is it just, yeah, is, it, is yours march on? Does it seem that way? That like, yeah, things can go. I mean, what, three months goes by fast, but then day by day, it's been slow and not. I don't know. Yeah, man. Time gets weirder the older we get. Yeah, and maybe that's a universal truth, right? I think that's a weird thing that I always, I remember my mom saying that when I, when my, my uh, the girls were first born, she was like, the days are long, but the years are short. And I was like, uh, that doesn't really make sense. And then you start living day by day and you're like, wow, the days really are long as shit. And then you kind of like get into habits and routines. And then I look and I go, my daughters are about to be seven next week. And I'm like, holy shit. I like, I remember the day they were born. Like it, it felt like that was a year ago. Like it's, it's insane how quick that time has passed. Yeah. Maybe being a parent makes that go by faster for you or. As you're saying. Well, I think now we have the baby. She's one. (laughs) Days go really slow with the baby. (laughs) She's like, now she's like up and like walking around. And it's like everything had to be like two or three weekends ago. I just spent like the whole morning just baby proofing everything. And uh, we've been kind of doing piece by piece. But like every day she figures out something else new to open or break or grab. And I'm like, ugh. I imagine if you have a baby, the days are long, the years are long, the minutes are long, and the seconds are long. Everything's long. It's just everything. (laughs) Everything is long. And it's, uh, you know what the really fun part though is, is like now she's like starting to get to that point where she stopped being like a inanimate kind of thing. Like she would just be like, I I lay here and ruin diapers. And then, uh, you put me to bed and then wake up every three hours with me. She's now to the point where she sleeps through the night, but she's also like, it's cool to see her like every day, like, Oh, she's taking more steps or, uh, you know, she is starting to like mimic stuff that we do. So we had a Santa doll out today 
and the Santa dog goes, ho, ho, ho. And she literally does this thing where she like purses her lips and goes, hoo, hoo, hoo. It's, <laughs> it's like super adorable. But at the same time, you're like, all right, can we, let's get, let's get to the part where you're like somewhat self-sufficient. Like, can you get your own juice yet? No. All right, good. <laughs> so we're happy to have you back on the show, Pete. And folks, this is an exciting week for fans of Renee Hartfeld. The, discography is coming out on black friday on 6131 records and pete tell us now you have a physical copy of the record right by you tell us a little bit about it and what's on it um yeah cool so i I really did just pick this up i don't know actually how long ago 6131 got it but um it's a gatefold uh it's comes in uh, i checked out the colors and i'm really excited about that it's a clear vinyl a clear vinyl, like this kind of cool blue cloud, and then like an almost gray metallic vinyl. Nice. But we had to do uh, a two album, two LP to get all the songs on there because it has the EP, the LP, uh, uh, two songs off of a radio show, which is funny. I think we did to get on this Finger 11 show, if I remember correctly. And then um, <laughs> uh, what was the last thing we had on there? I'm actually trying to pull out. Let me get out of the bag really quick. Oh, man, what was the last thing we had on there? We had the the North Sea seven inch. I think one song off that bottles. Yeah. So all in all, it's what four sides and a little over forty minutes. Yeah, it's basically all of our recorded music. Everything we did. That is exciting, and I saw that there's no pre-sale or anything, so it's limited to two hundred copies, and you just got to get one. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, that was kind of how 6131 wanted to do it. And I kind of left it up to them and I actually just dropped off a bunch of old merch with them too. So I don't know how they're going to do that, do that, but, um, it's just kind of surreal to finally have it and also to have it, you know, 15 years after the fact, right? Yeah, really? So I'm excited for you guys to see it and check it out. It comes with a cool lyric sheet, although hopefully the corrected lyrics, I went through there and tried to proofread them, but we'll see how well I did. Um, that turned out pretty cool. And it's all artwork by Charlie Flexen, who was our original bass player. Oh, nice. So, yeah. He did. Um, obviously I think we talked about last time the design for the LP, but he revisited this and kind of, uh, did some new artwork and the, the gatefold opens and it's got some new photographs, um, from a show on our tour when we went up to the West coast. And I can't remember where we, but I think Charlie shot it. So anyway, it's been really cool and it's cool to have him back and working on it again. Um, just cause so much of the stuff he was doing, especially with like the logo and everything was kind of his vision. So it was neat. He was always kind of part of the band, even when he stopped playing with us. That's great. And I'm excited to get my hands on a copy of that because as we told you last time you were on the show, we're just huge fans of the band. How did you work out all the legalities? Cause I know you had some problems with textbook music and there was the woman who just wouldn't let you guys go to another label or, you know, I think there was some shows maybe that you couldn't get on or tours or some trouble. So how did you get past all that to put out this reissue? You know, I, that's a good question. I think, you know, time is the healer of all wounds. I guess at some point textbook just wanted to unload the record and uh 613 was just in the right position and made it look pretty easy. I think there was just a, a one single contract signed and 613 now owns that, that album. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you think, oh, well, now it's so easy, but at least it's done. Who cares? But, uh, yeah, I don't think there was much to it other than that. I think they just worked out a deal and it was kind of, Sean might've been the right place, right time. And, uh, I was surprised he wanted to buy it. 
or he wanted to, to, you know, re-release it. But I think, as I said, he kind of gotten involved with the band just to really get us in the position to record the LP. So it's kind of cool that he's doing the re-release too. And being right in Richmond, like two blocks from my mom's house, it's wild. They seem as excited about it as we are, which is awesome. I was Googling to find some information about the record, and there was just a random tweet from last year where they're like, Renee Hartfell is awesome, aren't they? And I was just thinking, yes, yes, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that was like foreshadowing for the re-release. Yeah, maybe so. But I mean, I do feel like, and I could have my times mixed up, but that he had gotten the rights to this record some time ago. It's been a little while. And he was kind of, I think, waiting till he had time to do it. I think he already had some other albums lined up and other artists lined up and stuff. And then I do think that, I don't know if the pandemic changed the timeline, but um, the timeline did get changed. I think it did get pushed back, but, you know, kind of makes sense for it to be coming out right about now, which is, I think, almost exactly 10 years or uh, 15 years, if I'm not wrong, from the original release date. But um it is, it's, it's just wild. It's kind of crazy. It just happened, but um, here we are, right? I guess the power of the internet, people still being interested. I have a question. It just seemed back in the past with Renee Hardfeld and the woman you were working with at textbook who just seemed destined to, I don't know, stop the band from doing anything. Now we talked about it before and you said, you know, you had a lot of feelings around that and rightfully so. Did you ever talk to that woman again or did you ever get to ask her like, Hey, why are you doing this? Like, I'm sure that she had her reasons and and, uh, they had their, of what they were trying to do or whatever was going on that might've been outside of her, her hands as well. But, um, so I don't mean to attack her or be bitter because again, it wouldn't have happened without her. So, uh, without textbook. Right. But, um, you know, I, I didn't understand it. And I do feel like we, had, we did have some email exchanges back in the day about it, but never really t- uh, spoke directly except for, I mean, it was kind of whirlwind when we did sign with him because Sean was basically like, hey, there's, you know, there's a label that'd be interesting in you, could get you guys in the studio, get you back in with Matt Squire, um, which we were really pushing for. And I feel like within a matter of a couple of weeks, she showed up on my front doorstep with the contract. And maybe we wow. talked on the phone once or twice after that. And after that, it was really, yeah, just email communication. But, and it was really at first, it was great. I mean, it, you know, there was lots of big promises. And I mean, I, I think that's part of what set us up for kind of some frustration is that it wasn't like, hey, yeah, you know, we're going to put, we're going to put out your record and that's it. And you're lucky to have that done. It was more like, we're going to do this. We're going to do all this, all this, all this. And we were a bit naive at the time, sure. And hopeful. Um, but that didn't come to fruition. And then we're also like in the studio and there was issues with Matt even getting paid. Like at one point the session almost got shut down because she was not paying the bill kind of on time. Like I think they agreed to like pay half midway through or something. And that was probably the first sign of like, Hmm, this might not be what I thought it was. Right. Yes. And I think to some degree, Sean was blindsided by as well. And of course, Sean kind of got us on with textbook and then got fired. And he was like, hey, sorry, I'm, on, I'm not involved with this anymore. <laughs> and that's, I think, when things really went south. But that was after we'd kind of recorded it. I think we had gotten the Digipack CDs and we were trying to play some shows. And that's when it kind of started being like, hmm, this is, you know, this is awesome. We kind of made it this far. And, and she did get the album recorded and mastered and, and released. Um, but I guess stuff that may have been outside of her control just started taking over her life and her ability to really do the label. Now, remember, they did release Solea, Solea. 
Yes. Yes. Am I wrong? Garrett from Texas is the reason. Yeah. Come on. So, you know, I was excited that that was, (laughs) I remember being like, wow. Um, Yeah. But uh, I don't know. And I don't know what they did with their contract. I don't know if it was just a one record thing. I think it was. They were probably a bit wiser than we were because we kind of signed our band away. I, I've heard that story so many times, you know, a band and so many artists we've talked to have had the same story. You sign to a label, you have an advocate, suddenly that advocate is gone and the band is left out in the cold and they slowly wither away. Yeah, because it really does take like that. I think you're the community around the band to kind of keep it going, right? It takes more than just, but yeah, we definitely, uh, th- there wasn't that communication there, right? We didn't have the relationship, I guess. I was pretty upset about it then but kind of got over it and looking back now more just understand you know how life is and we you know everybody kind of has high hopes for what they're trying to do and i think it would have been matched too if there had been a buzz around the band that kept it going but i can appreciate too for her was kind of falling flat how much more money is she going to invest in this you know and then i'm like hey what about re-releasing the album on revelation uh, just the vinyl sort of maybe also inching towards hey we really want to get off your label yeah, uh, I don't think, you know, she didn't really love that either. So at least as I remember. Well, if we're going to look at the positive side of things, the record got released and Death of the Ghost and the EP are classics to this day. And now the rest of the world is going to find out when this discography drops. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And it's awesome to hear you say that. Um, I And it is like, like you said, I, and that's a to, uh beat a dead horse with it but i really am grateful that it just it did happen and sometimes you know it's just how it goes um uh so i am grateful to textbook as much as it kind of went really really south i'm definitely grateful that it kind of all went the way it did because it probably wouldn't be the record it was especially without putting us in the the studio of matt squire because we really wanted to to do that after working with him on the ep pete Last time you were here, you tickled our fancy a bit and you were like, you know, I have a lot of stories about the recording of the death of the ghost and our time in the studio and all that stuff, but we're going to save that for next time. Well, now it's next time. We are anticipating the release of this discography, so we want to dig into uh, all the stories, all the intrigue, the feelings that were going on while these records were being recorded. Let's, uh, Let's start with death of the ghost. How about that? Let me set the stage a little bit. So how, how old, let, remind our listeners, around how old were you when we were going in to record this record? I think I was 25. 25. Okay. So yeah. what is your mindset at this time? Now, when I was 25, my main concerns, I was always like upset about some girl and my main concerns were going out and getting fucked up <laughs> and probably chasing a girl and that's about it. So where were you at at this time? Uh, I mean, certainly that was an element of my life was, you know, all of that, you, you know, everyone's out socializing, living up, staying up late. Um, I think I had, we talked about last time, I'd kind of lost my edge uh, at age 24. Yes. So those are all definitely new experiences. But I, you know, I'd gotten out of, I graduated college and I was really focused on doing this band. But really, I mean, I think... Uh, I was still in a pretty pretty melancholy headspace. I think I was also listening listening to all you know all of the standards we talked about last time. That was definitely yes. in my mind. But I was definitely wanting to do something with this record. We had recorded the EP, and um, I felt like that was sort of a 
really kind of our demo, the continuation of our demo, and it was in the direction I wanted to go. I, we had worked with Matt Squire and kind of got a sense of how to work with a producer mm-hmm. as opposed to just someone recording you, right? Um, right. So I was excited to get back into that. But like headspace-wise, you know, there's I was definitely, you know, feeling a little bit of that tear of, of everyone going through that change you go through it in your mid-20s, right? Oh, yes. So that was definitely something that I was preoccupied with, uh, certainly for Death of the Ghost. I think that lyrically that that was there sort of just working through all that, that kind of transition, right? Um, right. Into adulthood, so to speak, or like, what is your path? And that comes through in the record because that was where I was at at that time. And I, the melancholy, urgent nature of it was just something I really connected with. And, you know, I was in a band at that age at that time as well. And I thought, you know, this band's going to be big and we're going to tour and you have all these hopes and expectations and none of them happened. And then I was like, yeah, if the band doesn't work out, I'll move out to LA and see what's going on there. That never happened. Uh, a lot of basically anything I planned to do didn't happen, but you know, that, that's part of being young. Oh man, it is. It is. And I mean, those dreams, I, maybe it's East coast kid dreams to go to the West coast, much like I think, kids in California dream to go to New York, right? It is. Um, but uh, I think I had all the same dreams. I think I really wanted to go to the West Coast as well. I wanted to, I mean, you know, and to the band, it was, I, I was still self-conscious enough about the music we were doing uh, that I didn't have illusions of grandeur yet. I was just like, oh my God, if we could just record a record, if we could record an LP, I would be, that would just be amazing. So much so that we kind of put ourselves into the studio probably a little preemptively, you know, mm. um, the lighthouse man, the band had played like one time. Oh, really? Yeah, we had not like a lot of them. They were kind of like, "Wait, what is this?" <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit, you know. I mean, they were definitely. I mean, and they they played such a key role in all the songs, especially you know Aaron and Colin, the brothers. Um, it was so great to have them because they're just so they were so talented and uh, just kind of musical with stuff. Uh, and then of course they just have the power of Colin, you know, with whatever song I was bringing. But nonetheless, I feel like we had like six or seven really solid songs and the rest were kind of loose, but it was like, Oh my God, Matt's available here. She's putting up the money, sign the contract. Let's go in and do this. And uh, as I think we touched on before, there was a little bit of that background pressure of knowing that I did kind of have this path I'd been working on for a long time to go to school. Yes. You know, and I wanted to do that. I wasn't like, didn't, but I also wanted to do this. I was torn. Well, we're glad that you recorded the record. Because, come on, where would we be without these songs? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's a good. It's always good to hear you say it. But yeah, I'm glad it happened too, man. Gosh, it's amazing. Like you really think back to all the little things that have to happen for it, for something like a record to happen. And then, of course, the fact that yeah, if you end up with a different producer, a different, you're going to have a different signing record. So let's talk about working with the producer because I, yeah. I have, I've never worked with a full-on producer where they're like, no, do this or no, do that. Like the engineer is usually a friend or someone I know and they'll give suggestions, but like tell us about working with a producer on that, with, on that record in the studio. Well, I think that there was, I mean, at least when we were coming in, I mean, we wanted it to sound like manic compression or we wanted a little more like a, just a heavier raw sound. And Matt could certainly do that. But I think at first, because we went in and did maybe two days of just playing the music and he would just listen, like we just set up, in the in the uh sound room yeah and we we're just kind of going through and we were kind of okay getting a, a basic idea of the songs that we were going to record how we we're going to record them 
he was getting familiar with them. Although I think, I think we had sent him some demos. He was, he was familiar with some of the songs. Um, and then he was just talking about, Hey, maybe again, basic stuff, you know, cut that chorus. It shouldn't be as long. Should we rethink that bridge kind of stuff? So a little bit like that, not too, uh, into the, not too granular, um, as I recall. So that was cool. And then, um, we started setting up drum sound and you kind of start getting that first, as you know, like that first kind of idea of how the record is going to sound. And we immediately noticed it was like, you know, Matt Squire was doing kind of the big clean rock sound, right. Which is awesome. And it was good. And I think he had good, he had a, he had a good idea. I think he had a good idea what the record should sound like with the band, but we were also wanting to be hardcore kids, right? Like, uh, and, um, so I think as I, I mean, when we went into track, because we had trouble tracking um, the EP because we didn't want to, you know, we didn't, weren't used to playing to a click track. We weren't used to um, taking that much time with it, maybe. Um, so I think that was frustrating. In fact, we had an early, not to jump backwards, but we had, and I actually forgot about this. Aaron brought this up uh, on a podcast we did with Where It Went, um, which, were, which was pretty cool. But Aaron was talking about that uh, on the, the EP we had recorded and scrapped it. I think we had like done a session, three songs and it just didn't turn out, but that was our first time recording Matt Squire. So we kind of left. I think we had a lineup change. I think Aaron went from bass to guitar and then we kind of came back and recorded the EP kind of learned from that. Right. I think Matt learned something and and I actually remember, I think we had some conversations and then got back in, did the EP that went really well, super positive. And then, of course, that was like, oh, yeah, the, the one we kind of trust to record with was going to be Matt. Um, so anyway, to fast forward to answer your question about working with the producer, like Colin came in and laid down the drums really fast after he kind of had the framework. So then I would go and do a scratch track for the song kind of as the framework. And then Colin could work with Matt through the parts to make sure, you know, to down to the point of like, man, you know, this that snare hit, you missed that one snare hit. You didn't quite hit it the same. We'd have to go back and do it again. And that was, you know, a little bit tedious at times, but by that point, Colin had really worked with click tracks. So he was, he was much more comfortable. So I feel like they plowed through, then Colin came on the bass and went through it. Aaron played his parts really fast and then they all had to work. So they kind of headed out and then were coming in as needed if we were kind of rearranging something. But then it was Matt and myself really working on the vocals and, um, my guitar part stuff and some of the just kind of embellishments. Um, and I remember it being awesome, but you know, it's stressful because he was, he's particularly super supportive, but, um, you kind of want to get a certain kind of performance. And I remember feeling like, Oh, I really want it to be sing songy. And I wanted it to be a little more driven, but he found that good, uh, that could like fine line. Right. Yeah. I guess he could, you know, I, I, (laughs) I, I feel like I'm always pretty hard on myself. So, you know, I could definitely be the one to kind of really get negative in the booth if it's just not sounding right. I think we tracked, we might have tracked the Lighthouse Man the first thing we did because it was one of the last songs we recorded. Mm-hmm. So we had kind of just finished doing the music for it. And um, he's like, why don't we shoot that one? Because I think he liked that song. And so I went in the studio, you know, in the booth and did the song and it sounded terrible, <laughs> at least to us. <laughs> to me, I was like, oh my God, like, forget it. And we kind of, I think left that night, like forget that song. That was kind of an idea, but it's, it's just not working. And then went back and kind of went and tracked all the vocals for the rest of the record. And I think that kind of built some momentum. We got more, you know, you just kind of get more comfortable in that setting. And then 
it was like the last song we recorded and finished. Yeah, and it's I'm glad you did because that's a song I go back to all the time. It it has almost a mineral feel, and then you you put in the strings and the heartbreaking story of the guy who walks out to sea. I mean, come on, that's just <laughs> that's just classic. And that that's I I have found that that you know, a song isn't quite done and you're like, ah, it's not going to work. And then somehow it just all comes together in the studio. Yeah. Right. And you kind of catch this thing. I don't know yes. how you do it. Um, lightning in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle or just, yeah, one night it just didn't sound good at all. And the next night it was like, we were all excited about it and, and enjoying the, the process. But there was definitely some you know, just stressful days of like, oh, because there was the, the time crunch of having to make it go there's the, yeah, kind of, you know, doing your first album of these are the songs that I've really been working on and pouring myself into. And is this going to even be good? Um, yeah. All that stuff going through it. So, you know, I guess in a way I was listening to the Chain of Strength interview on Where It Went podcast and they were just like, oh, this is, we just trying to get it done and made like eight hours to record the record. And then all of us listened to that album, you know, hanging on every song, imagining what it was like to, you know, record in the studio but for them, it was just kind of a blur. They were just trying to get it done. Right. Right. Because um. <laughs> you don't have the luxury of time or money. You're just like, this is the amount of hours we have. We Whatever comes out is what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that's just kind of, yeah, the, I don't want to say luck of the draw, but just how it, how it develops. Um, yeah. And it's kind of out of your control, right? Yes. And God forbid to a point, yeah, that it can, you know, ruin a session to the where you don't even want to release it. Um, right. <laughs> Or yeah. anyway, so I feel like, but it's great to hear you guys say that because I do feel like uh, once we kind of finished and I was able to step back for like two weeks from the record because I think I really did sort of leave the studio feeling like, oh my God, I failed the band. I failed myself, um, feeling really down. Uh, but then I, Matt did some mixes and I kind of got a, some distance from it and then heard the record and was excited and I think we really had some momentum then to go on this little, that little U S tour afterwards, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so lighthouse man, did you have someone come in to play strings on that? I'm actually glad you brought that up because we did wrong in that Amber Blankenship, uh, played the cello and she went to school at VCU. So, uh, and teaches. Um, but she came in, um, at the time my friend and then became a long, long term girlfriend, um, and played on the record. She drove up, Matt had her in. We had an idea for the melody, which we kind of had drawn out with a guitar. And then she just came in and did it in like an hour, which was really cool. But that was sort of after we were kind of hearing the mixes back and getting an idea how the song was. And I was like, oh, yeah, we should do that. Because I think originally I wanted to do it with an Ebo. Yeah. But I'm glad we did it with a cello. I thought it turned out oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Too. It's, it's such a nice accompaniment. It just really solidifies the whole thing. Well, I mean, I, you know, as a far stretch from like the... <laughs> where we had started as a band to get there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, towards that point as well, it was getting that kind of vision going for the record. I think by the time we'd written like 14 songs, you know? So I sort of had an idea too of like, uh, I feel like all this fits together there. Uh, you know, there's a theme of death for sure. on a lot of those songs, mm -hmm. um, but also in the idea that like, you know, life is short and seize the day. I mean, on our demo, we had a song called Carpe Diem. Um, so that was definitely a, a theme that was running through, but, um, I feel like that lyric and that song, oh man, that must've come together, you know, over the course of 
that really got intensely writing. I think once we kind of signed the contract with textbook, um, I really got serious about like, you know, taking these parts that I was like kind of floating and like, uh, you know, as soon as we kind of know what we're doing with this album, I'll kind of get it done. But I've like got super motivated and did that, did the death of the ghost. What am I thinking of? Uh, the third to last track, um, somber silk. Isn't it funny how you mentioned that you wanted to go in and make it sound like manic compression and, it really doesn't like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you often go into the studio and think it's going to sound like this. This is what it's going to, and it just, it never really ends up being what you imagined, at least in my experience. Now, yeah. spiritually, it does sound like quicksand and that it's post hardcore and it's got, you know, some heaviness with emotion. But if you listen to manic compression and you listen to death of the ghost, it's really not, you know, there's only one song that like really sounds like quicksand. And I think it might, I forget, it's uh, hollow maybe that yeah. it starts with a very quick sandy riff. So quick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, almost, uh, but I mean, and, and I think we just wanted like, yeah, I wanted it to be, I don't know, for some reason, a little bit more of the, cause I don't like man compression compared to slip. I don't want to say it was low five, but there was something with the compression on literally on that record that just, you know, I don't know. I just felt like it was going to fit our sound or something, but you're right. It didn't sound anything like that. It sounded like with Matt Squire, you know, cause it was Matt Squire recording it. And I think he even said as much. Yeah. Slip is more slip. I almost think of as like a hip hop record. It's very like compressed, controlled, groovy. Yeah. And manic compression is more like faster all over the place in your face type of deal. Now give give us uh give us some humorous anecdotes. What do you got? <laughs> You're putting me now, on the la- spot. Now last time we talked <laughs> to, last time we talked about the taxi driver dying. Uh, oh yeah, which was a which was a great story. So we we know you have to have more. I think. Well, I'll, I do remember being in this like I was recording vocals for the EP, and I yes. think everyone is in the room, and you're, you're like peering out through there, and you're singing vocals. And people are laughing. And usually there's because they're not really paying attention. They're like dicking around with each other. But yeah. I, I think at some point, Matt was just dogging me so hard. This is not even going to be funny. But no, he, uh, I have a, a the lyric on the first record. And guys, forgive me for not remembering this um, about Abby, <laughs> the name Abby, and him just yeah. taking the piss out of me about it so badly. And everyone laughing and uh, just being stuck in that little room of like, oh man, fuck being a singer, you know? <laughs> like, I remember being a, a guitar player and being done, and then now at this point, yeah, I could be playing, you know, PlayStation or whatever they were doing um, <laughs> instead of like sweating it out in here, trying to write the lyric, trying to, you know, because it, it is great to get to do songs like that, but um, it it can it was stressful. Um, gosh, man, I mean. We, I, I shouldn't say any of the stories were funny, but like, um, it was the, as a session, it was really cool to come in as a band too, to have that place to ourselves for two weeks. Um, they had a whole like piano room, mm-hmm. um, where I could go and work on stuff while they were tracking, which was awesome. And, um, at the time I was like, everyone into Coldplay. Um, and I think I was playing some Coldplay riff on the piano poorly uh and immediately got caught doing that and everyone was like oh my god you know so emo <laughs> in here with my acoustic guitar playing piano but um oh i'm i'm falling flat with that with this with the stories i mean it was really a super focused somewhat stressful time i you know with andrea and calling mid 
mid-session when it was just starting to get momentum and being like, oh man, we may not be able to finish this. That was definitely a, a crunch moment. Um, mm-hmm. Man, I wish we should have gotten Colin on here because he would he would have remembered much better memory than me. They had like a little <laughs> bunk bed area where they where the rest of the band would kind of hang out. So a lot of times it ended up just being Matt and myself sort of going through the songs and then, hey, Aaron, come back in here and do this or whatever. Because, you know, you guys know, obviously, that uh, Aaron and Colin playing Clip Dagger, both Colin. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and See, I'm, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because we, Renee Hartfelt uh, was practicing in the old Count Me Out space, and then we moved spaces. Um, and I can't remember how the lineup changed, but, you know, Mike Stankovich from Striking Distance, and Aaron Barth has also played in Striking Distance, um, were originally in the band. Um, and through that, in D.C., knew uh, For the Living, which I think Colin... That was his first band. And there's two Collins, Colin the drummer and Colin the bass player, Colin Barth, Colin Kimball. Um, but Colin played through uh, in some DC bands and sort of kind of all, obviously everybody mixing it up that way. But somehow Aaron convinced his brother because he, I mean, he is a amazing guitarist, amazing bass player to drive down from DC and join our band, which at the time I was like, you know, I didn't know what Colin's musical tastes were. Um, mm-hmm. And this is right after the EP, but down he came. And it was have been, it was only like, I feel like it was a, a month or two before we went into the album to record, or went into the studio to record the album. So it was a big change up and also a big change up to have like a really strong musician come in. So that was super cool to have him. We'd already kind of had some songs together and to have him come in and put his touches on it, especially the bass. Um, I keep returning to that song, Death of the Ghost, but that was one where we were kind of going through it and he came in and heard it and just immediately laid down the bass the way it was super simple, but just tied the song together. It was just awesome. But he was sort of kind of, you know, he just kind of came in, hung out with his brother, enjoyed it, I think, but he would be driving back home. So it would, it really, a lot of the session felt like it was myself and Matt, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And death of the ghost. I mean, I know I say this about a lot of your songs, but man, so good. Like, Big chorus, big soaring chorus, excellent, excellent uh, chorus riff. I mean, that's just what a what a way to end Death of the Ghost. You got Death of the Ghost, the song, and then Lighthouse Man. Yeah, I mean, you're you're seeking emotional assistance after that one-two punch for yeah, sure. Oh man, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, in a way, we thought about that because I mean, ordering and putting that song, which is uh, towards the end that way. But um, and I don't have the album in front of me. Hold on one second. Let me. Did I bring this up last time that the I was starting to get I, I clearly uh, a little more grandiose with the idea of the lyrics or like the concept album of it of, you know, gratitude for the death of the ghost is forgiven. Those three songs. So I titled them to sort of uh, hoping that that was a bit of an Easter egg to someone reading the lyrics would be like, oh, OK, this all kind of runs in line. But that's where the parentheses are. It's not just because I'm like, you know, uh, it's to, so that you could read it out as a full sentence. I thought you were just being artistic or yeah, something. Yeah, I think that's what most people thought. I was like, oh, maybe it was just a little too much. But and maybe it would have made more sense to have them go right in a row. Um, yeah. But that was probably as far as I was going to get with this record lyrically. But I did feel like those songs ran together, including uh, The Lighthouse Man. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking back lyrically, it really did seem like I was sort of hung up on death. 
Did you think you were going to die or something, or was it more just life is short, live it to the fullest? Mm. Yeah, I think more of the latter, you know? Um, I was also starting to get into, and that we that's one of our unreleased songs on the record that we didn't put on there, um, Korea. And you'll got, you guys will get to check that out. But that also kind of led into Memorial. And I, you know, my... Uh, Dad's, my father's uncle died in World War II. So that was, you know, I guess the stories of all that always colored some of the stuff. And Korea was partly about that um, Mm -hmm. and death and like the idea that, yeah, you know, you kind of, you send young men to die or, you know, at 25, you're kind of appreciating how much youth, how valuable it is and all as you're seeing, you know. So those were all ideas that were spinning forward. But I don't, you know, since then, I have not, I don't think... Maybe, maybe when Memorial Ben has caught up with it, but certainly that the the album we did with Renee Hartfelt lyrically, that's where my headspace was for whatever reason. Um, but I'm glad to hear you say it because I felt like we we're towards the end of the record after, yeah, that, as you said, one-two punch, it was just getting pretty heavy lyrically, right? I mean... Yeah, and Death of the Ghost especially. Is Death of the Ghost personal experience or is that kind of a story you crafted because there's some heavy stuff in there like someone's messing with a gun and i watched his chest explode it seems like there may have been some kind of shooting what tell tell us a little bit about that um i think that the imagery i was going after at least the storyline and thought i was going off is just that i mean um opening with gratitude for is sort of the son frustrated with his father Mm -hmm. right and sort of the the story he was He's been told about, you know, how to be a man, whatever. Um, and then sort of going back into the, uh, this is forgiven sort of fast forwards and skips, uh, death of the ghost. Mm-hmm. So is forgiven is sort of, you know, referencing the, the 12 men, the jurors, right. And then death of the ghost talking about shooting his father. See, I always thought the 12 men was uh, a religious reference, like the 12 apostles. There's 12 uh, men who think uh, so. I was like, I wonder and if I mean, he's religious. I'll honestly, that was there too, and I, I, absolutely. And I think you know, we were talking the other night too. I think Renee Hartfelt often got mistaken for a religious band because I did use a lot of religious imagery, and I, don't, I couldn't tell you why that is because I didn't really come up religious uh, at all. But I guess mm-hmm. I've just always seen the power in that those words, and I mean, you kind of get that instant visceral reaction with some of those words. Um, so maybe that's why they show up. Plus dealing with bitter, hardcore kids, you know, you mentioned anything remotely religious once. You're a religious band. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got, I mean, we, yeah. So it, it definitely happened a few times where we were, we were booked with religious bands or like, you know, uh, on a show that was all Christian bands. Maybe being from Virginia as well, you just kind of <laughs> get lumped into that. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> There's entire bands that have spent the rest of their careers trying to explain to people, we're not religious. Like, I always think about, like, <laughs> Zayo, everybody was like, oh, dude, they're, like, super religious, super. And then you would, like, talk to – we talked to Scott from <laughs> Zayo, and he's like, yeah, we really – none of us. Uh, like, the band's dynamic completely changed after that record. Like with, we After had that, that first record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I'm keep in mind, you know, they're still putting out things like, you know, he was like <laughs> – the first thing he played on was Liberate X Infernus, and it's like – it's called – save yourself from hell what the fuck did you think we were gonna think like all of us are sitting there like going like uh i'm pretty sure and like all the imagery is like dante's inferno so it's like wow 
Yeah, I don't know, guys. He seemed pretty religious to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I think once you get that title, though, it it does tend to stick. People tend to remember that about you, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? (laughs) I'm uh, 38 years old now, and I just don't give a shit. I'll jump on YouTube. Yes, YouTube, Tommy. I'll listen to Overcome, (laughs) Zayo, Strongarm. I don't give a fuck. If it's good, it's good. If it's good, it's good. Exactly. Okay, here's a good question. Now... This is a very hypothetical situation in 2020, but with the excitement surrounding the re-release, have you talked to the other members of Renee Hartfelt, and are there any plans for, uh, I don't know, an Instagram live performance, or uh, let's say shows happen again in two years, maybe we do a show, lay it on us. Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, we uh, Aaron is in Philly now, and Colin and I are in Richmond, and then I think... Colin, bass player, Colin Barth, uh, I think he's up in, I want to say he's in, still in New York. But so we're kind of spread out, um, yeah. which makes that difficult, but not impossible. I mean, Renee Harfo, when we first started, we we practiced in D.C. half the time and Richmond half the time. And we had two D.C. members. So we had this like, are we a D.C. band? Are we a Richmond band? <laughs> you know, and I definitely want to be a D.C. You got to go with D.C. That's, you know, that carries a little more weight. It did. I mean, but we obviously love Richmond, Richmond Roots. We did, but of course we toyed the idea like, oh, we'll be a DC band, especially if like, you know, someone will pay attention to us then. Um, because at the time, I can't remember, there was a real strong, who were the strong DC bands at least coming with that sound? Cause at least we like in Richmond, we had Engine Down. That was oh, a yes. really super cool band. Um, they were exploding. Denali, different sound, but still kind of something different. Cause for the longest time, Richmond was only really coming with just kind of, Metalcore, and then we definitely had a little of the youth crew resurgence. And then you hear bands like DTN, all they're just are awesome. What strike anywhere? It's always kind of a varied sound, anyway. But yeah, so we like to be DC Richmond. So there is so there is a possibility of another show one day. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not going to rule it out. But as I told you guys, like it, it was one of those things where it sort of ended, and uh, we just kind of hung it up. Yeah. I have to say, I feel dumb even asking about shows anymore because when the when the pandemic was like sooner and it seemed like maybe it could happen, uh, I don't know. It seemed like a more viable question, but now it's like, who knows if there will even be a live performance next year? Well, anything I mean, like we used to see. You guys saw that the there's going to be a vaccine. I mean, there's two different companies now that have vaccines over ninety percent success. Now, I, I don't know. You know, of course, all the politics and everything plays out, but to me, that's they can distribute that well, that's going to radically change the game, hopefully for the better. And I also feel like, man, when shows do happen, isn't everyone going to be doing a reunion? I mean, we're probably going to have to line up. Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, I'm so. sorry, we don't have any openings. There's a show every night. You might be able to you know, <laughs> use Sunday early show or something, but that that day coming, I think we're all looking forward to it. Big time. Somebody put out, I, I think it was uh, Mike Miggs put it on uh, like Instagram, and he was like, look, if you make your living from playing music right now and the next thing that doesn't come out doesn't fucking blow my mind, I'm out. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've, you've had you've had so much time. Like if you don't get it now, you're never getting it right. Like this yeah. is it's one of those things where it's like I I always kind of like you think like are what's it going to be like when things get back to normal and I I really hope that it's like one of those almost instantaneous kind of just hey remember when we used to wear masks all the time like i hope it's like that quickly i know it won't be but 
there's part of me that kind of hopes we just go back to normal and everything. It's kind of like flipping a switch and it's like, all right, we'll see the numbers. I think we all fantasize of the, yeah, the flip the switch that everyone will just like pack into a show. No problem. No, you're not going to have any issues being like wedged, you know, 50%, you know, 50 people over capacity. Will that ever happen again? Right. You know, even watching like on YouTube, like old shows, it is, it's a little like, Oh yeah. Wow. It used to be like that. It's so weird. It's so weird. Like I see everybody packed in a little room going nuts and I'm like, will that ever happen again like that? So after the last time you were on Pete, I went and looked at some live videos of Renee Hartfelt, which was exciting. And then there there was, did you know that on YouTube, there's a, a video you guys sent to Fuse? Yes. Like it was like a submission video to get on that that old uh, video net music video network. That was Mike Stankovich's uh, grand plan. Did it work? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like everyone had to send that in, and I want to say maybe Joseph Patasol, who shot the music video, helped us with that. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of kooky, you know. We we're just like, hey, let's let's try to do this, um, and I think we just shot it in one Saturday after a practice or something like that. <laughs> and I don't think you play any actual music in the video. No, it's like I, and that's again, I don't even remember what the, what the purpose of it was because I don't know if it was some sort of, again, like a showcase, yeah, to get on this thing. But I think they yeah. were very specific of how they wanted it shot. Kind of, yeah. you know, we didn't just want to see a video of your band practicing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's funny that of all the things that have survived, that's one of them. It really is. You know. <laughs> It's it's funny to even think about Fuse. They were a big deal in music, I guess, back when music television was a thing. I always remember seeing that building when I would get off Penn Station in New York City. Like, the first thing you would see is that big Fuse sign. How long were they a thing, though? They were, they were still around in the mid-aughts, like 2006, 2007. I'm guessing they disappeared sometime shortly after that. I see. I don't know, because it, I mean, and not... I, I, I don't, not that I'm the authority on that, but like, I felt that there was that and there was a lot of these kind of like industry magazines, Yeah, which was like a lot of bands that were just getting pushed. And it was like, Oh, you know, the A&R team's going to put the band in there. And you know, um, you're looking through and it's like all these different new bands coming out. And it seemed like looking from the backside of like, Oh, how do you get in that magazine? Is it just the magazine? No, you kind of, Ari and our guy either pays somebody or to get in there. And I mean, we were in a few of those as well. Um, yeah. And Fuse kind of, I guess I was wrong or right, but um, reminded me of that a little bit. Because like we talked about, there was some options at that point, And that still goes on today, just pay to play. Yeah, you, you, people just hire a publicist. I'll never forget this tweet I saw from a comedian. I think it was a woman who said something to the effect of, you know, I'm shocked every time and I shouldn't be when I see a comedian getting pushed so much. But all they did was hire a publicist. I always thought of, you know, it was crazy to me. It was, I remember the first time I talked to uh, Anthony from Circa Survive and he was, they were actually, they, this was a long time ago, but they were trying to come up with the name of the band. And he was like, hold on a second. I have to call the lawyer. And I was like, you guys have a fucking lawyer? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> He's like, oh, we got to check. We got to check if the name's already taken because they wanted to use La Cosa Nostra because it translates to uh, this thing of ours. And they were like, they, we, we love that. It's such a great idea. It's our thing. Like, and he called, he's like, yeah, there's a band from California called that. We can't use it. <laughs> That's like, so hilarious. 21st like, century. Yeah, yeah. Like, you guys have attorneys already? Jesus. Like, I feel for bands because this is like, yeah, it's like the stuff you have to worry about now. You know? I always think it's, it's a crazy thing that I remember um, 
people talking about just like intellectual property in general. And I was like, well, how does it get determined? Like my daughter asked this story the other day because they were watching a television show and they actually kind of made the joke. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember what it was, but they were singing happy birthday, but they didn't sing the whole thing because apparently you still had to pay royalties on it. It was like one of the old, like, a, what, like an old Hannah Montana or something like that. And <laughs> my daughter was like, how long do you have to like take, like make money from your song. And I was like, that's a really good question. I actually don't know the answer to that. And we started looking it up and it's, I, it's, I think it's 75 years from the death of the creator. Like, so it's from that part, like from whoever creates it, it's from 75 years from that date of their death. You can still, you can still collect royalties on it, or at least the estate can, can, uh, can collect the royalties. And I was like, that's insane. But that's why also, you hear like these songs that you're like, oh, they use this because nobody has to get paid. Like, yeah, that's why restaurants have their own birthday song and that type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. But the, it just never kind of dawned on me until a six year old asked me and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, I, I've never even thought about that. <laughs> the good thing about the band name Renee Hartfeld is no other band has that name. And <laughs> you know, you, 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 you drop that shit in a hashtag. It's only going to be you guys. That's it. You know, I think that was unexpected. Uh, maybe we were cognizant of that, but I did I did I talk about the name last time? No, no. and that was going to be my next question, so uh, lay it on us. Well, so there was a restaurant next to um I'm getting too in depth here, but uh often after practice we go to this place called China Panda, which was like a vegan vegetarian Chinese restaurant next to the main club Twisters in Richmond that sort mm-hmm. of a lot of bands played in. And I'll I'll not forget that I think it was Mike Stankovich was still obviously still in the band, Charlie, myself, and Colin. We were having dinner and we had some songs. I think we had three songs. And we're like, all right, we're gonna be a band. And so we had the list of names. And uh, one of the names was Renee Artvelt, H-A-R-T-V-E-L-T, the German name, I think. Renee Artvelt. I think maybe Mike Stankovich brought that. And there was a bunch of other names, and everyone was picking names, and we kind of like, I think we voted like top five. Like, what would be the name? Um and that was in there. And so it was, everyone kind of voted for that name, but then we, uh, but not our number one choice. Right. So mm-hmm. long short of it, it that was going to be our name. But then we were like, all right, if we're going to name ourselves Renee Artfeld, and I'll get to why that would be, we were worried that maybe that person was going to come sue us. Oh. So it was there even then. <laughs> but <laughs> I think I've told the, I've told this story before and I hope I get it right. But there was a, um, and this is Mike Stankovich. And if you knew Mike, he gets excited about crazy stuff and has all these random cool stories. Um, and I guess this was one of them that he was particularly fascinated with, which was that this uh, German foreign exchange student in Japan went over there. Her professor, I guess, got obsessed with her. Her name was Renee Hart, Hartvelt um, and shot her in the back and tried to eat her. Oh, no shit. crazy. So she ended up, uh, I guess he was excommunicated somehow, ended up back in Japan and really suffered very little consequence for this and then became oh. a little bit of like a cult hero because I guess they, and again, I'm not hundred percent of these people, someone's going to go on, on Google and totally correct this. But as it was told to me in this, this restaurant, as we're sitting there eating that this was a story and we we're all like, that's insane. Um, but why don't we change it to Renee Hartfelt? Because I guess there was something about that name that, that was sticking. And we thought, well, if we change the name, 
as sort of like, man, this poor woman, then no one even yes. knows about her and like died this horrible way. And now this guy's kind of quasi famous. I just looked it up. All right. So, so again, this is from Wikipedia. So don't, this is, you know, it, it it's the best information I could get in, in seven seconds. Um, <laughs> the guy's name was Issei Sak- Sagawa. Sagawa. Um, he was a professor. Um, but this is the whole thing behind it is that um, he was arrested but released after two years of pre-trial detention because he was found legally insane. Uh, and he was deported to Japan. And then due to his release on a legal technicality, he became a kind of celebrity in Japan. Right. That, I mean, that's insane. That's terrible. And it's, the worst part is, is that he has all these links to his name. Her name is not it is not hyperlinked. It's just just her that's the she's the most minuscule part of the story is this poor girl that lost her life right and i mean i was worried at the time that i was like i don't want it to come across insensitive like we're naming our band after this girl and i I mean i guess it does sound kind of crazy but we i you know we had good intentions as much as that's possible we didn't certainly didn't want we weren't trying to and also uh, why we changed it to heartfelt and we also thought it just sounded better it does and i think it's a I think it's saying heartfelt. It's kind of like a memorial because man, that that's just, that's just a tough story. Do you think somewhere out there, maybe her family or someone who knows her knows that you guys did that. And it's kind of like a tribute to her. I highly doubt it. (laughs) Yeah. But maybe we can dream. I don't know. I mean, it it is a little bit of a tribute to her and that or just, yeah, I, I also felt like the name, it, it felt different at the time. And like we, I was, I was into that idea of it, that we were kind of heartfelt. Like I was one a little bit hard on the sleeve as much as that was, it felt a little cheesy. It still felt like that's where we were coming from. It was like a perfect mix. So that became the name. And then we had to tell that story every time. I always felt compelled to tell that story for no reason, but I guess because people were like, what, what is, <laughs> what is this name? <laughs> you know? I remember reading that in a print interview with you guys and I never forgot it. So I just, I wanted to ask you to make sure I didn't like make it up in my mind because it's a pretty wild story. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm glad I remembered it half well too. I thought you were going to read that Wikipedia thing and be like, actually, no, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. (laughs) One thing we wanted to ask you about, which we didn't get to last time is you're a pilot. Yeah. Like what kind of planes do you fly and how often do you fly? Um, so I am a, I have a pilot's license for gliders. So I have a pilot's license with a glider rating is essentially that goes, you can get a single engine rating or dual engine and on jets and everything. So I'm licensed specifically to fly gliders only, but, uh, that is, and I'd probably fly, geez, I, I went a couple days ago, but the weather didn't turn out. So probably uh, twice a month and my flights tend to be about two to five hours. So just real quick, it's it, when you do a glider, you get, uh, towed up to a certain altitude and then and then they kind of cut a cord right yeah there's a couple different ways to launch but that's most common in america is to get aero towed so they'll take like a uh, uh an ag wagon or a pawnee which are really designed to lay down um like pesticides and stuff on farms so they're super overpowered but you pull that stuff off put a tow hook on the back of it yeah and it'll it's it'll pull a glider up in about i want to say about six to seven hundred feet per minute so just like a three-minute tow, and you're at 2,000 feet, and you release. So in the glider, there's no engine or anything? You're just gliding? 
Yeah, that's it. It's kind of sur- it's a similar concept to surfing in that you kind of go out with this thing that has no motor and you get it up to speed to catch the energy of the wave and now you're riding that that energy, right? Same with the glider is that the, the tow plane is sort of the catalyst to get you up high enough to where the air is currents are getting organized enough um, that you can find these cylinders going up at thousand feet a minute and you get the glider into that sort of wave of air and now you can climb. So, so you catch up like updrafts and stuff like that to even actually increase altitude. That's right. Yeah. And then there's other phenomena too. There's ridge lift and there's also wave, which is pretty wild which is sort of like when you see a pebble in a running stream and it creates that ripple downwind or downstream oh, yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that happens on a big scale in the sky. And yeah, you can get up to, I think they've gone up to 90 or no, 60 or 70,000 feet. Jeez. At my flying site, we've got up to 18,000, which is pretty that's, fun to do it. That's insane. In, yeah. what, um, what got you interested in aviation? Always been into it. I think but living, grew up in Chicago, there was air shows on the lake. And my dad was in the military and kind of a military guy. I'd always loved that stuff and just started bringing us to those air shows. So that always planted the seed. But I never, my eyesight wasn't great. And it was kind of my brother's thing to go become a pilot. So, but it was always there. And then he sorted, he went into the Air Force, but decided, or was kind of unable to pursue being a pilot because of his eyesight as well. Um, So, but that kind of always planted the seed. And then he took me soaring out. And uh, when he was working out in LA, I just got out of college um, right before starting Renee Harfelt. And we went up in one of the only like three person glider, three seat glider made by Schweitzer. And, Mm -hmm. uh, that was it. So that kind of planted the seed. And then I guess after being kind of uh, out of school and working, I had some time, uh, to try to pursue it. And it just finally all of a sudden like crystallized and I was all of a sudden like, I got to do this. And I think within about a year, I went from student to getting my, my license. Wow. Do you, do you do anything else with like, do you do like model planes or, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> as most people, I feel like you get into aviation. Uh, definitely. I built models too in Chicago. I grew up next to this. I think I brought this up last time, the skate shop, um, called Tom thumb. So they've had the skateboards and that's kind of what brought us in, but there was all of the models in the back, RC, all that stuff. So I started tinkering with that at an early age. Um, so it was kind of in the background, but my twenties, I was just doing music. All I cared about was music. So I kind of hung it up, but all of a sudden without a band, without Memorial, once that kind of ended, I had some free space. And I think I started filling it with that. So I think that was RC helicopters, <laughs> kind of how I got into it. Now the guys in Memorial would make fun of me too, because um, <laughs> I was geeking out about that when we were writing the last record. And I'd be like out in the back after the practice showing it to them. And they were just like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> um, but I think I'm glad I did it as dorky as it was, because it got me into soaring, which is just if you're listening to this podcast and you have any interest at all, you can definitely look on YouTube um, there's a guy, Bruno, uh, uh, Balika, B-A-L-L-E-K-A, and they kind of show what you can do in a glider and it's pretty incredible. So I just had to do it. I've always been, I love surfing, love rock climbing. I loved kind of interacting with, uh, nature in that way, sort of not just like passively, but actively, you know? Um, and it just, man, felt like it kind of just fell in my lap and I was like, oh man, this just makes total sense. And I, and also I couldn't believe is maybe you can't either that, you, there's enough energy in the atmosphere to do something like that, that you can get an 800 pound glider and it climbs without a motor and it'll mm-hmm. climb faster than a plane. I mean, a single engine. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't quite understand it either. I think the first time I took a flight, I was like, oh, okay, you just kind of, you release from the tow plane and glide down. 
Yeah. Um, and that is one thing and fun, but the real art of it is soaring, which is where, yeah, you're gaining altitude and the guy, you know, people are doing a thousand mile flight. Jesus. So um, you, you're telling me you can be up there gliding for two to five hours. Yeah. I mean, guys glide eight hours. I, oh I want to say God. the world records, it's really long, but they stopped going for that just because of like safety reasons. <laughs> no one said, you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's enough energy up in the atmosphere, especially in the ridges around Colorado or even where we have on the East coast, uh, the Appalachian mountains that you can do these really incredible long flights and go straight for two hours. You never turn and you're in lift and you're cruising along at 80 miles per hour. Wow. Um, and, but you know, that's also the kind of like the skill of the surfer. You got to get up there and kind of know what you're doing and how to interact. But, um, it's an awesome challenge, man. And it's a cool part of aviation. I don't think even a lot of people that are into aviation are into because nothing against power, power piloting is super fun and, uh, certainly like functional, whereas gliding is not, but the gliding I think is cool because every flight's different. And it's just like going surfing. You just, you know, you got to kind of react to the conditions you get and make the best flight of it you can. So there's definitely some days that it's not so good and you're stuck at the airport. But then there's another day that it's really good and you, you know, get 75 miles from the airport into the mountains, up into some, uh, you know, up above the clouds, uh, and then turn back around, come home, and it was a five-hour flight. It does sound like surfing because people are like, oh, we got to get this set and we got to get there at the right time. And are the waves going to be okay? All that yeah. type of stuff. And for better or worse, it is so weather dependent. You know, it's not like uh, playing football where you're going to play yeah. no matter what, right? Um, or even playing in a band, you're going to play no matter what as long as electricity. So you kind of can show up and then that's what happened last weekend. You kind of show up and it's just not working. So you can't do it because if, if the energy, if there's no air going up, yeah, you're going to take a 10-minute flight. Well, Pete, you surf, you're a pilot, you're a dentist, you write great songs, you can sing, and you're an attractive man. Now, prior to your current relationship, what, what, did you have to fend off the women all the time? <laughs> oh, man. No. No, I didn't. <laughs> Remember, I had, I, you know, uh, and Katie, my wife, makes fun of me for this, and rightfully so, my little wire-rimmed glasses and I had braces. I had my jaw broken, hence why I got into dentistry to begin with. So I never mm. really got, I never really felt that way, but thank you. <laughs> I'm here to boost you up, man. No I appreciate problem. that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've always been and am still incredibly awkward. So, you know, I, I typically end up in relationships with people I've known for a while or meet and am friends with or friends of friends, that type of deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't seem like you are. You seem pretty outgoing, but maybe again, it's in the, that right situation. It's a definitely a right situation type of thing. I am racked with anxiety before I get to any type of social function. But then once I'm in it, I'm like, I'm doing this. And, uh, and then it's okay. So it's like outside, exterior, okay. Inside, I'm a mess. <laughs> and do you ever want, like, how many people probably have that to some degree, right? Oh, I'm sure most people do. Most people probably, but still, yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah, because like whenever, even like every week before we go to record this podcast, I'm like, I can't do it anymore. It's every week. It's too much pressure. I don't want to edit it. And then we get rolling and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm fine. So what what is it about it? What is it about our inner voice that wants to keep us from doing everything? You know, I don't know. That is a great question. But don't you think it's probably snuffed out so much great art and stuff? as everyone talks themselves out of it. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, we were talking about the circumstances that led to the Renee Hartfelt records getting released and recorded. And think about how many bands are out there that had great music and just never got recorded and it's done. That's it. You know, we'll never hear them. Mm. Yeah. 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 Tommy, that's a new uh, podcast idea. Uh, In Search, uh, (laughs) let's see, in In Search of Music. We'll find the bands that never got a chance to record and we'll present. Well, I guess we're kind of doing that already anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're going to go even yeah, more obscure than us. I like that. <laughs> so, Pete, where are you at musically these days? What are you listening to? Do you, do you have any connection to the scene still? Like Tommy and I are still all over the map. We, we listen to some rap. We listen to some heavy stuff still. We were, we were just listening to end the band End before yeah. uh, we started recording. They're heavy. They're pretty good. Uh, we still love all the post-hardcore stuff. Hum, I was listening to their new record again today. Uh, yeah, we're all over the map. Where are you? That's awesome. I'm going to embarrass myself and look through my Your Top Songs 2019. Yes. <laughs> right. I want to know what you're up to. So I've got Grizzly Bear. That morning sound, y'all know that song? I'm, I've kind of gotten very, and I make fun of my kids for this, but at the same level, I'm doing it where I'm like, this is the song I like from your band. And I will listen to it. <laughs> I will listen to it 20 times. You know what I mean? <laughs> that dude, I was talking, to, I was just talking to Tommy about this too. I, I fuck with these year long playlists now. So I, I'm sad to say it, but I don't hear whole records too much anymore. So someone will show me a great song from a band. And I'll add that song to the playlist. And that's that's my understanding of your band now. I listen to that song. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like, yeah, yeah. So And then it takes me man. months and months to circle back and get back to the record. But please continue with your list. Um all right. So uh looking here, okay, there are uh Pete Yorn, Empire of the Sun, Calm Trues. I don't know if you know them. Kurt Bile. Yeah, the electronic act. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been listening to a lot more electronic music. Yeah. Loving that stuff. Um, Wilco, Ryan Adams. Pretty basic here, man. Oh, my God. It keeps going the same stuff. M83. Ah, Kavinsky. Yes. Do you know them? That's a little bit. Tribe Called Quest. Um, Lil Wayne. Yeah. Mamma Mia. Was- that song is insane. I uh, I actually got into Lil Wayne when I was like 22. I started teaching at an alternative school for like kids that got kicked out of regular high school. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the extra parts of the job was like, hey, do you want an extra $1,000 a year? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you can pick the kids up in the morning. And I was like, okay. And the ki- there was a little CD player in the van and it was like a 15 passenger van. So I used to like literally be like, I would tell the kids like, where do I pick you up? And they'd be like, we all meet at 7-Eleven. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I would pick up like eight kids at one 7-Eleven and pick up another five kids at the Wawa down the street. And we were driving in the one day and the one kid goes, um, you want to put on a CD? And I was like, I don't have any CDs in here. And he's like, I have some. And he put on, uh, Lil Wayne's, um, the drought. Yeah. Uh, It was an old mixtape. Oh my word. I remember the first time he played that song, uh, Canon. I was like, okay, so I'm hooked on this. It's heavy. It's small, like, and that's one of those things where people think of like Lil Wayne as like this kind of like goofy, like poppy. Kind. It's like his stuff is super smart. Like he super does some smart. really cool wordplay stuff that if you're not paying attention, it's easy to gloss over. But um, there's a. I'll line. never forget you got me into him, Tommy. It was that song "I'm Me"? 
And it, he oh, samples Moby, yes. God moving over the face of the waters. Yes. That's so good. There's a there's a line in one of the songs where he says something. We're in Louisiana where we got blue bayous and I drove past you or I wave as I blew by you. And I'm like, that's really clever. Like <laughs> blue bayou. And like, it's just the play on word type shit that he does that you're like, wow, that's really, really smartly done. And it's um, it's just so interesting because people kind of like go, oh, it's just, you know, I don't I don't like that. And it's like, have you ever really given it a chance? Because he's phenomenal. Like, there's some really, really good songs out there. I agree, man. And if you're really listening, if you're really listening, he's destroying it. I mean, so definitely worth all the hype. Although, I got, you're right. If you're not, you can kind of be like, I don't, you know, I don't really hear why this is so insane. Um, Sylvanessa, do you guys like them? I never heard them. No, they've got a great song called "Die Young," another song about death, but. Really well done. <laughs> the recurring now that, that I at that age I thought I was going to die young. I had an older brother who died at seventeen. He was a diabetic. Oh my so god! Sorry, I, man. I just wow. yeah, it was really rough for me and my family, and I still haven't fully dealt with it yet. But maybe I'll do that on the next episode. And uh, that was just a joke. <laughs> we can <laughs> laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe um, I shouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm just keeping it light. But uh, I, so I had a complex where I thought I was going to die young for a while. Plus, I was heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol for many years. So, you know, those two together, I thought I was on my way up for sure. Yeah, and couple with being like young, that you could just kind of have that a little more of that maybe that sense or just I don't know, life is short. Yeah. But man, I'm so yeah. sorry to hear that. That really must have affected you at that age. I can't imagine. For sure, because. Life with my family was tough already, but throw that into the mix. And it was like an atomic bomb. And I don't know. I think I don't remember a lot of it. It's like, I don't know. I think it was very traumatic. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I just remember like flashes. And I think I, I think I still have like, well, there's certainly some residual stuff still, but you know, uh, it's part of life. Death is part of life. It certainly is, but I I think that's something that goes to like that's uh there there might be something that kind of is just in our like kind of survival mechanisms as people because I can think of like so like my father passed away when I was young, but like I literally have a couple vivid memories of that day. It's literally like the most one of the most defining parts of my life and I remember the wallpaper pattern at the funeral home. And I remember that my mom made me eat pasta for dinner that night and I didn't want to eat. And then she was like, you have to eat it. And I just, it's like, I, I was, I, I still won't eat spiral noodles to this day. Well, wow. cause I just, every time I see it, I'm just like, ugh, like that's all I can think of is my mom, like forcing me to eat. And I'm like, I don't even want to eat. Like, can we just be, can we just go to bed? Can we just not deal with this right now? Yeah. Sadly, I remember the day. I remember the aftermath. I remember they, Bought McDo- there was a McDonald's near my parents' house, so they brought us food. And they were same thing. They were like, "You have to eat." And I was like, thinking, like, "How the fuck am I going to eat?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> this pretty much the last thing I want to do right now. Yeah, really. So, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. All right, we're in the glider right now, and I'm pulling the joystick back, and we're gonna <laughs> fly back up because I want, I want to end on a positive note. But uh, listen, folks, here's what we're gonna do. This Friday, Black Friday, we are going to order the Renee Hartfelt discography on 6131 Records' website. Now, 
uh, only 199 people order it because I want to make sure I get one too. Okay. <laughs> now, Pete, you said there's going to be some shirts as well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how Sean at Six Hundred Eight is going to do that, but um, I dropped a whole buttload of uh, shirts from our U.S. tour, so just like leftover stuff, and it's oh. not just extra larges, although there are there are extra larges in there. Um, so there's that stuff. There's some seven inches. Um, we had some old posters. So hopefully, yeah, somehow we can incorporate that because certainly the people that you know still love and care about the band, we want want to have that stuff. So yeah. Come buy the record. Yes, buy the record, listen to the band. Oh, and I had one more question. Now, when you Google uh, Pete Appleby or Renee Hartfelt, like, we're in the mix now, too, the Northeast scene. We're, we're tied in there with you. Did, did any patients hear the podcast and come talk to you and say, like, oh, we had no idea, or did you, uh, did you hear anything at all? Um, I definitely had a lot of friends and extended family friends, people, uh, I'll reach out who did, who did listen to it. So that was cool, but specifically patients. No, thankfully they're, they're pretty much oblivious. I was saying, have you ever had a patient be like, Oh, you're interested in music. Did you ever play in a band? Did you have to, I like, be able to- yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So how do you approach <laughs> that? Cause I mean, I have, I have like, uh, some band, I, I have some like posters and I, at one point I had a guitar hanging in, in one of my operators. We can't do that stuff anymore. So, um, how do I approach that? Um, I'm always psyched to hear about their story, but I rarely share mine just cause you know, it's at first there was a, some level of like, you know, I was first a new dentist. I wanted to make sure that they didn't think I was just, you know, cause I think a lot of people are like, Oh, you're in a band. That means you're kind of like, you know, I don't know, a Rolling Stone type. And you're my, I want my dentist to be a little more, you know, I grounded. don't know. Yeah. 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 Right. Grounded. So I just kind of didn't talk about it, but more and more now, you know, I've got, uh, music on uh, in both my operatories so all the time i'll people in and we put on music loud and 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 that's awesome like someone be like hey this is a band this is a group i'm into i always want to hear what people are listening to um but for the most part i've i've deflected that unless it's someone like really pushing but i've had some friends of friends who, who definitely know the band and have come to see me just to, for they need a dentist um mm-hmm. but um and that's always cool if they just bring up something but uh, yeah, usually I don't go too in depth about about the band. <laughs> That's my philosophy too, because I I work in a very corporate environment, and there's there's certain connotations with music guys. You know, I don't want people to think I'm some crazy drug addict or anything. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, plus, you know, I don't know. I just want to be like when I'm at work, I want to be professional me. And if people are asking me about music, I'll say yeah, I play, or yeah, I listen to some heavy stuff, some lighter stuff, some rap. You know, I just I keep it general. Yeah, it's something like that. Exactly. It's because, you know, and, I mean, we were talking about this this weekend about like uh, compartmentalizing your life for better or worse. And there's some aspects of that, um, especially yeah, when you're kind of putting on the professional cap, right? Yes. You go in, you kind of have to do that to some extent, or at least I yes. kind of get trapped in feeling like I need to do that. And I might maybe clam up more than I should talking about it. It's been cool to, uh, I know I keep saying this, but just like that they're because of that also burying myself in work it just felt like the band was forgotten about, you know, yeah. and then even by, to some extent by me, um, I just got so focused and moved on from it from, for a number of years, you know, and then to kind of yes. see some people getting interested again. Um, that's cool. Well, we're dragging it back out. Six, one, three, one records is dragging it back out and we're going to have a, a good ass time. So Pete, we want to thank you so much for speaking to us again. 
And uh, we look forward to hearing the discography. Oh, man. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks again for helping to spread the word. I'm so psyched for uh, the people that that like and love Renee Hartfelt to uh, get to hear all the songs and get to hear this way. And I, I think the mastering sounds really good and excited for you to hear it. I hope we get feedback. Reach out to me anyway. Um, love to hear from anyone and everyone. So, And uh, hopefully we'll talk again one day, maybe maybe for the world tour. I'll be sliding you a demo so I can uh, be the opener, direct support on that tour. You know it, man. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Pete. Thanks so much. Pete, Tommy, thank you guys. There you have it, folks. Pete Appleby. Now, I'm excited about that Renee Hartfelt discography. We're going to get to hear some new shit. Maybe we'll get to see him play a gig again one day. Man, it's going to be awesome. How nice would that be? Like, that's like one of those kind of like dream things of like when we get bands back, like what bands are we going to see? Like, I, I, I know like you and I have already kind of like gone through like when bands come back, I can't wait to go see X like, or I can't wait to go see this band. And it's like, yeah. I, I just, I think it's going to be, it's going to be so powerful, especially like when you go see somebody like, I keep thinking of like, like a Renee Hartfelt or like a uh, Caspian, like something like that has that real emotion to it in my I'm head. Gonna I'm going to cry. Yeah. I, I actually, <laughs> I didn't want to say that because like, I'm like, that maybe that's a little bit too much, but like, I really feel like I, I might get that kind of emotional. I was watching, I'm going to for sure. I, I uh yeah I know you don't watch it but I, I I really like that uh it's always sunny in Philadelphia and one of the last episodes from one of the later seasons I forget which season it's in but um there's like a whole dance sequence at the end of it where the one guy comes out as gay and the background the like the song they play in the background is Sigur Ross and I was like laying in bed watching it and I was like wow, this is such a beautiful song. I literally got, I got choked up just sitting there watching it. And it wasn't even the emotionality of like what was going on on the, the, the actual scene. It was like, it was just the music. I was like, wow, it's just so powerful when you see stuff like that. Just, it, it's just incredible. And I, I can't wait to see stuff like that live again. Oh man, me too. Yeah. So thanks again, Pete, for coming on. Oh, I wanted to ask if you had made any progress on the solo album. I forgot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I need that. I want to hear that. I'm actually, I, I have to keep, I got to think of a way. I, I don't want to spend a ton of money. You know me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I really do. There's a couple things that have come out on vinyl recently where I'm like, I would really like to listen to this record. Like, and I, and I mean like a real physical LP. Um, and it, Renee Hartfeld's one of those where I'm like, especially like stuff. There's a lot of Renee Hartfeld stuff. If I'm being really honest, like I don't know their full catalog. Like I know I, I was a, I liked Renee Hartfeld, but I was a bigger Memorial fan. Like I really liked Memorial. Like, have you heard the Renee Hartfeld discography? They have an EP and an LP. So I think I've only heard the LP. Oh, go listen to the uh, EP tonight. It's fucking sick. Is it that that's what he was talking about with the three song one, right? It's four songs total. Okay. Uh, and they're all incredibly good. I'll have to put it, I'll put it on my YouTube playlist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
I I realize I'm on YouTube just as much as you are. I just it's not my main source for music. Um so maybe I can't make fun of you for that anymore. <laughs> because like I told you, right? But like I was telling Pete, you know, I I listened to Beneath on YouTube right before we recorded. Oh yeah. So I'm you now. That's it. I mean, it's it's always been my go-to thing. Ever since I figured out like you could just find like anything, like any record from any band of anything that like you know what popped into my head the other day was because i was thinking about uh like i was folding laundry and i have a coalesce shirt that uh i i hardly ever wear it but i was like oh oh i should go listen to that get up kids coalesce split and first place i went to right on a youtube typed it in and it came right up and i was like damn this is a fucking banger what a great yeah. song which song is it again uh i think it's called coming clean is the one that Coalesce covers. Oh, oh, the Get Up Kids covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it's like yeah. when they did the, yeah, so like they covered the Get Up Kids and the Get Up Kids covered Coalesce. I don't know if I've ever even heard that. I got to go check that out. The Coalesce one is really, really good. Really, nice. really good. Well, we got some new emails. You want to hear one? Let's go. Let's do this. Michelle V says, hey, Keith and Tommy, just discovered your podcast via Hopes Falls Instagram. I've been on a nostalgic Hope's Fall trip throughout this pandemic. Can't believe how underrated these guys were, at least up here in Montreal, Canada. I was definitely into them during Satellite Years era, and then they hadn't crossed my mind again until I saw that Arbiter came out. Well, pretty much same here. After being blown away by that release, I had to back through the entire discography. Love everything they've done just well. I listened to your interview with Josh Brigham, and I have to say it was so great. I found myself nodding and yelling yes to so many things that you guys discussed. I have the episode with Adam Morgan queued up for a later listen, really enjoying your podcast and all the discussions you have amongst each other or with a guest. Fun fact, I actually kept a concert journal during those years, which basically consisted of my critical comments, flyers, tickets, set lists, and photos. And she sent some stuff, so we're going to post that up this week. Um, Wow. Thanks, Michelle. That's awesome. That's really nice. Man, I Michelle, as you know, and anyone who heard the Josh episode, I I reconnected with that band right around the time I was getting clean and also worked through their discography. And it's amazing that uh, someone else is doing that too through this pandemic. So thank you again, Michelle. That's awesome. That's really nice. It's really nice that people just like go back to like, because that's what a lot of this is for is like that time of like back then we have because our lives have just gone forward, we've forgotten about some of those things. And just to, the kind of like jog your memory. And it's like, you start thinking like, Oh yeah, I forgot about this band. And I forgot to like, even like tonight, like when Pete was talking, like there was a couple times where he said like, you know, strike anywhere. I'm like, shit, I haven't thought about strike anywhere in forever. Fuck man. Like, yeah, I was never a huge fan of theirs, but like, I would definitely go back and listen to it just to hear some of that stuff just to be like, Oh yeah, I do remember this. Like it, it's great to be able to revisit a lot of this music and revisit a lot of bands I never listened to with fresh eyes and fresh ears because I don't have my head up my ass anymore and I'm not like, oh, this sucks, that sucks. <laughs> I don't listen to this. I don't listen to that. I can listen to and look at things a lot more objectively now than I could two decades ago. So, you know, it's just better overall. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. It's really nice. Matt S. also wrote us. He says, I like how you brought up one podcast 
that you discovered and you went back and listened to every episode. I've been fortunate enough to be with you guys from the beginning, and you are the only podcast I won't skip an episode for. Uh-huh. I'm not blowing smoke. You guys are awesome, and I look forward to it every Monday morning while I'm working. As someone else stated, I feel like we've known each other already. Uh, I will also declare myself a member of the Northeast scene. All right, we've got another member. There thank we go. you, Matt S. Welcome to the club. Uh, welcome to the club, Matt. That, thank you so much. And to hear that someone listens to every episode of this podcast, no matter what, brings us great joy for sure a hundred percent it's really nice to just hear that i think it's just fun to hear people talk about it in terms of like i like i like listening to that like i i just it still kind of blows my mind every once in a while and i'm like wow people listen to us like i because it's so uh, because we're so isolated right now like it's like this is something i do sitting in my basement while looking at all my kids toys like you know uh the fact that there's people out there like listening and, and streaming and, and paying attention and like, you know, like <laughs> Vadim texted us today and he was like, Hey, uh, every time I listen, I feel like I'm home. And it's really nice because I keep thinking like, Oh, I want to say this, or this is what I would say at this point. And it's like, I, I forget that there's, you know, people on the other end of this. It's just like, you know, this is the, the thing we do. Like it's me and you. And then sometimes other people show up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Yeah, and thankfully, uh, he told Gary that I asked you, Tommy, uh, do you and Gary connect over being cheap? <laughs> and I was afraid he was going to get mad at me, but I just checked the group text and he laughed at it. Oh, good. Well, I, I think that's one of those things that, like, I always, uh, I am cheap. And I, I, that's like a, I, I know that's become like a, uh, like, it's like insulting for like, but I feel like um, I'm not cheap as much as i'm very careful with money <laughs> i'm very conscientious about how i spend my money dude i am i get called cheap now too a little bit and listen i i have a girlfriend who has a 14 year old kid i i have expenses now yeah so i gotta be we have to be spending conscious for yeah. sure yeah so Listen, we're going to be posting some some more stuff that people sent us this week. We got some some nice stuff here in Michelle's email. And let's see, what else? Well, I guess that's it then. You know, why force it? Yeah, no, I, I'm done. I, I mean, yeah. I don't have it. I can't think it. If right now I, I don't have anything off the top of my head, we'd be like definitely grabbing at straws, trying to get some conversation going. And it's like, if it, you don't have something off the top of your head, we are definitely done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was actually, uh, thinking about this today. Like when I, and it's, I, I brought this up before, but like sometimes you have like a shitty day and then the last thing you want to do is sit down and talk for three hours. And yeah. it's like, I, again, I came into this podcast of like, Ugh, all right, I'm going downstairs. Like, all right, I have to put this on hold and put it out. And then I, as soon as we start talking, I'm like, God, this is so much fun. Yeah, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do because I have to be on and I have to talk for multiple hours, which I never do except for this podcast. But when we're done, I'm in such a good mood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like a high. It's awesome. Well, that's it, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And until next time. Yay!